Hello and welcome to Apartment 29A. I'm Shosh. And I'm Megan. And I'm Tracy. And we're three best friends who have a lot to say. This week we're going to drink Tracy's favorite tea, which is White Peach Tea by Stash Company. We're going to talk about the podcast, I Am All In with Scott Patterson, followed by the book, My Body is My Own by the one and only Tracy Hawkins. And then we're going to end the show as we always do, talking about things we just can't stop thinking about. So Tracy, we're so glad that you are here and able to join us today. A little background, um, Tracy and I met, well, I think we met before 2008. Mm-hmm. We must have met probably in like 2004 or five when I came out to visit Jeremy right. once or twice. Yep. So Tracy actually really knows my husband from their childhood. And then they ended up in graduate school together. So Tracy and I lived together uh, and t- from 2008 to 2011. And when Tracy wrote a book, we had to read it because that's what we do. <laughs> and then I was like, shush, let's have Tracy on the show. And so we invited Tracy on and she didn't say no. So she's here. Yay. <laughs> Is there anything you want to tell us about yourself, Tracy? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, as prelude to the book, uh, I um, teach sexual ethics. So that's where the concept for the book comes from. So I guess that's kind of relevant. Back when Megan and I lived together in the greenhouse, um, it was the... uh, in the utopian world that is Southern California, where it's always <laughs> sunny. Um, and we would, I remember since, uh, <clears throat> you know, here where I am now in Wisconsin, it's snowy and cold right now. <laughs> it's making me long for our hammock in the backyard. Oh, um, yes. But yeah. Yeah. And since then, Tracy's had two children. Yep weird (laughs) (laughs) but also helps explain why maybe you wrote a children's book yes little assumption on my part but (laughs) definitely yes so um much of my other writing is like academic and boring um and so this this was uh definitely I saw a um, a gap in the uh the children's literature genre and so I thought I would fill it (laughs) Oh, I love it. I cannot wait to talk to you about it. But before we do that, we're going to talk about the podcast, I'm All In with Scott Patterson. So this is a podcast that prior to this week, none of us have talked about or have had listened to. And Shosha's reminding me that we didn't talk about the tea. So <laughs> let's talk about the tea first. The tea is the white peach tea by Stash. And Shosh, what do you think? I really like it. <laughs> um, so we've had some other peach teas, but I think this one might be my favorite that we've had on the podcast. I really, really enjoy it. It smells really good and it has a nice, I don't know, I kind of want to say simple flavor, but I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in like a really good way. Like I really just enjoy it. 
mm-hmm. and it smells so good. Yeah. So when we asked Tracy to be on the show, I kind of put her on the spot and was like, so we drink tea. Do you have a favorite? <laughs> and she was like, yes, yes, I do. I was mentioning that I feel like this tea is, um, I don't know, like the, the, the every person's tea, <laughs> because it's just grocery store tea instead of a fancy gold coated tea, um, <laughs> as previously discussed on the podcast. But um, this is my favorite. I feel usually I like more comforting teas like chai or something. But somehow this tea hits the right balance between comforting and sort of like refreshing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I feel like it, because sometimes fruit or like floral teas are are meant to be refreshing, but they're like overpowering. And this one I feel like is subtle enough that it can also be comforting. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also in general have the perspective that in the English language, we lack adequate vocabulary to discuss flavors. So mm-hmm. I would agree um, with that as yeah. you hear me struggle every week mm-hmm. to say what something tastes like or what I think about how it tastes. Yeah. Well, well doctors. Gonna, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, well, that's why one of the things I really appreciate about your podcast is that you attempt to, you know, fill in some of that ability for people to discuss flavors better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that came up during COVID because when people lost their sense of smell and were actually realizing that there is a sense of taste that is separate from smell. And there was like that whole episode that we listened to, I think was it, I think it was a daily episode, it but was. it was a Sunday episode about smell. Like there, we just do not have the language and the, the people who do are in like the wine world and the beer world because they've right. had to come up with them. So we're working on it in the tea world. Love it. Because <laughs> I'm always talking about like the aftertaste. Mm-hmm. And this one is like, when I think peach tea, this is what I want. Like the aftertaste of this tea is what I want when I have peach tea. I agree. It's like, it's peach, but it's not soap because I always get scared with peach that it's going to mm. taste mm-hmm. like like the soapy peach, which is a scent I like, but I don't want my food to taste like You don't like want to lotion. drink it. Yeah. Wait, am I recalling correctly that you think cilantro tastes like soap too? It can. I've Something about being in California for more than 10 years seems to have negated that a bit. I now oh. actually really like cilantro, but it took oh, no. <laughs> it took 10 years before I learned to enjoy it. Um, but I wonder if there's some flavor overlap between peach and cilantro. There could be. They seem unrelated, but it feels like maybe there's some mm-hmm. biochemical similarity I don't know for sure and I don't usually have that with peach but I do with things that have rose in them Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that's made with like rose water I think tastes like soap so I'm always like super hesitant if it is made with rose but then like one of her favorite teas does have rose in it rose in it yeah interesting how that happens yep which is why I will still try things with rose I'm just always hesitant because I'm afraid Mm -hmm. it's gonna taste like soap yeah I think you all had talked about a dark chocolate tea once. Um, And one of the things that I like about this tea is that it's not at all bitter. 
because you all had talked about how the bitterness of the dark chocolate tea was good but in this case I I don't really like bitter things that much and so this one has like no bitterness to it at all like it's just which is probably why I like it so much mm-hmm. <laughs> I am also yeah. not a huge fan of the bitter that doesn't mean that something that is a bit bitter can't be good but in general yeah I'm not yeah. really a fan I prefer sweet definitely sure. yeah I am a fan of the bitter, but I still really love this tea. <laughs> it has, I think, like a little like um, like the tang that you get with like gummy candies. Mm. I don't know how to. It, how, yeah, that's the best way for me to explain it. Um, and I like like I like that type of tanginess just in the aftertaste. Which might also come from like the orange. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I would have picked that out, but now that you say it, I can kind of get that a bit. And the peach gummy candies, I do really love. So <laughs> that might be part of why I like this so much. <laughs> awesome. Well, white peach tea for the win. Woo-hoo. Agreed. All right. Now we can go on and talk about (laughs) I Am All In with Scott Patterson. Uh, So again, this is a podcast that none of the three of us had ever listened to before. And I'm not even sure any of us had heard of it, but it is about Gilmore Girls. So Scott Patterson is Luke from the Gilmore Girls. And I knew that shows like the show, I, Tracy and I watched some of the show together when we lived together. And so I was like, ooh, this is something we should all listen to because at least the subject matter should be good. And it was, it was an interesting experience. I don't know <laughs> that I will be continuing to listen to it. It's, on, it's from the iHeartRadio network and something about it for me, I could tell. Like, I was like, ooh, hmm. this is more radio, like radio DJ announcer in between the songs-esque, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't really know what that means, even as I say it, but hopefully it's, <laughs> hopefully it's getting up some sort of idea of like the level of depth, maybe. It's just, it didn't go very deep. It saved pretty service level. And also sort of the quality, because, you know, I hadn't put my finger on what it was about it, but I think that you're right, that it is maybe more radio-esque. And I thought both sort of in depth and discussion and everything, it wasn't the best as well as the quality. So there were some interesting tidbits, like I did enjoy a few of these, you know, discussions about like how Luke or he became Luke and sort of got that job and things. So there were some bits that I liked, but as a whole... I don't know. I didn't love it. I kind of thought it was a little bit boring, to be honest. (laughs) I feel bad saying that because I love Gilmore Girls. And I think part of that might be that Scott Patterson basically is Luke a little bit. He just doesn't really. I don't know. If you've watched the show. Yeah, Luke has a certain personality, and I don't know a lot about Scott Patterson, but I felt that in, you know, him as a host, and so maybe for me it was just a little bit, yeah, lacking, I guess, a bit. I would agree. I I had a couple of other problems with it, too. One was that, was maybe it was just my app, but did you all have duplicate um like I don't know 
body sculpting commercials in yours? Oh, I passed. I just skipped through the commercials. So okay, I'm, well, I'm unsure. Okay, so <laughs> Agreed. At, unsure. Okay. So at the very beginning of it, there were, there was, I forget what it's called, like cool sculpting or something Ooh. commercial that played twice in a row. And then midway through the episode, the same commercial played twice in a row again. And I was like, okay, first off, it's like feels like it's poor production that the same commercial played four times in one episode second of all the content of the commercial and the target audience of this podcast seems problematic like it seemed like and full disclosure i'm already on high alert with gilmore girls because of that one line in the remake i don't remember which episode it is but um lorelei and rory are sitting by a pool and somebody walks by and they like body shame them in one there's like one comment that is like that in the remake and so I'm already sort of like you're on dicey ground here Gilmore (laughs) and then to have this also what I feel is sort of a body shaming commercial played four times in the first oh my gosh yeah like force-fed to you yeah like force-fed to you for a podcast that is like theoretically geared toward youngish women right I just felt like it was really um I was not on board with that choice <laughs> yeah if I had heard that I would have not been on board either but <laughs> I don't even know if that played on mine okay well it could have been just on my app I mean I don't know whether the ads are like app specific could yeah. be but I don't or know region specific or region specific maybe yeah but I was not a fan of that and then additionally within the content of the show I just felt it was like not set up well like there was one part where it was a conversation between scott and apparently three women and i had no idea who the three women were yeah i think they were all producers right that was my understanding yeah something like that i thought it was only one person at first and then all of a sudden it was multiple and i was very confused same and i was like who are these people and then also i felt (laughs) why didn't they get an introduction (laughs) right and then also it kind of felt like it was um I don't know the the guests that were on were obviously related to the show but they the interviews were so like wide reaching or meandering or something that I didn't feel like the show had a real it neither had rapport between the relationships nor in-depth content and I felt like it needed to have one or the other of those things (laughs) right like it, the irony being like Scott Patterson talked about how Luke needed to anchor the show right because he needed you know he needed that character to be kind of grumpy and a little bit slower to be in relationship to the mm-hmm. these two women who are going to be fast and going to be a little bit um hectic and that this show just felt hectic Mm-hmm. Yeah, I Probably. thought it felt very thrown together and unplanned because, for example, when they were talking to the first guest, Michelle, I can't remember his real name. Yanni oh, Yannick. Yeah, yeah, that guy. He was like, oh, what is this for? I just said yes because I saw your name. Like, he didn't even know what he was doing. 
And then like they also talked to Macy Gray and I felt like that was just very thrown in there. And then her interview was also so short that I didn't even really get the connection to Gilmore Girls or why he was even talking to her. And it all felt really bizarre. Now to be a little bit, you know, I guess maybe fair, it was their first episode ever of the podcast. So I would like to believe that maybe it has improved now that they've made it because they're into a second season now, I think. So I would like to think that perhaps that was just you know growing pains maybe first ever not really knowing what they're doing but I don't know that I care enough to listen to another episode to find out well so that was actually exactly my thought too Shosh so I did listen to an episode in season two and it was better it was still not riveting but it was definitely (laughs) better well that's good yeah so there were parts of the show that I really did like I enjoyed learning a bit more and like there are parts of the show that were like that I have already not aged well which is interesting in the sense that like Yanni was talking about I like how I use his first name but anyway Yanni Truesdale was talking about how he was doing a shoot in Australia and there was no COVID you're like aw the early days of COVID for Australia. How's it going now, Australia? <laughs> like, <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> like, and so that part already has not aged very well. But it was fun to hear that like, he was on a shoot with Melissa McCarthy. And like, that's cool. That's what I mean. There were some interesting, like little bits of information throughout, but just as a whole, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't really work for me. Like I said, it felt kind of boring and thrown together. So yeah, I'm impressed Tracy that you listened to another episode. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Yeah. And also the only other thing that I thought was kind of awkward about it is, so there was a show called the Gilmore guys. That was a podcast that went through every episode of the Gilmore Girls, two comedians. It was much funnier, especially in, in like their first episode was actually really good. Towards the end, they got really long and I stopped listening because I think they forgot about their focus was supposed to be the show. <laughs> but anyways, they also had a pop culture section though. So it felt like it was, it felt like a, a repeat of a show they're like oh like essentially like the show itself or like scott patterson and their producers like oh we could do the gilmore guys better because we were actually on the show but then we can just redo the show but we we can't we don't want it we don't want to just redo the show because you know they're i don't know some sort of copyright or that's just rude but it it just seemed awkward in that sense because they had these pieces like the pop culture stuff that they wanted to do and you almost have to if we're going to talk about the Gilmore Girls like they do there's so many pop culture references and so many little things that go by so that you can rewatch it but it just felt awkward for me knowing the show the Gilmore Guys exists yeah I've never listened to the Gilmore guys, but I think I expected it to be a little more like what you're talking about from that podcast, because it was specifically designed around the pilot episode. And I felt like they barely even touched on that other than to say it was the first time he had listened to it in like 20 years, you know, so I mean, they did mention it, but 
I wouldn't have, if, if they hadn't labeled it that it was about the pilot, I never even probably would have really realized that was the focus. So I expected a little bit more discussion about actually, you know, the production and putting together and what happened in the first episode. And I didn't really get that for the most part. If you really like the Gilmore Girls, maybe check it out, but keep your expectations a little lower. And then I think you'll enjoy the show more. It was fun for something different. Yep. We tried. Yep. All right. Shall we talk about this book? Yes. Yay. All right. So the book is called My Body is My Own. And the words are by Tracy, but the illustrations, uh, do you know how to pronounce Lola's last name? Svetlova? I think so. Yeah. All right. If I got it wrong, let me know. (laughs) That's right. I have never met her in person. Um, We have only corresponded. Nice. So T, we just wanted to, I guess we should first talk about what the book is about, and then we'll ask some specific questions of the author. Okay, that sounds great. That sounds great. Um, so <laughs> I had mentioned before that I uh, saw a gap in the children's literature world. Um, to, I will say that since beginning to write this, I think a lot more books have come out on this topic which I think uh, is a demonstration of the importance of the topic and Mm -hmm. that people are starting to really think about this. So as I mentioned, I teach sexual ethics and I mean, at the university level. So (laughs) I, so, but it, there are often conversations about consent and how even when you're a young adult, you don't always have a really great grasp on what consent is does it need to be explicitly verbalized are there ways that consent can be non-verbally expressed and then also so when i had my kids something that was a point of intellectual tension for me was what happens in caregiving when a baby can't give consent to like receiving medicine Mm. or a vaccine or something and so we always wanted to teach our kids, like, you're, you're in charge of your body. You know, I will respect your autonomy. If you tell me to stop tickling you, well, I will immediately stop tickling you. But I have to make sure that you're vaccinated, even if you don't want to. <laughs> right. And so like, you need this medication for life. <laughs> right. So it's like, how do I, how do I make sense of your body is yours and I will respect it, but you also don't have the you know, brain development to make long-term health decisions about like vaccinations and Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. So that was a real tension in my mind that I kind of, you know, spent honestly multiple years thinking about. Um, And so I wanted to, um, I wanted there to be a book that I could read to my kids that would be a little bit like a mantra that they could say to themselves not only as, you know, babies and toddlers and growing up, but also would still be applicable later in life. So, um, so I framed the book as different sort of like snapshots of a life from infancy through um, older adulthood. And that at each moment in your life, your body is your own and you are responsible for it even if there are other people who are taking care of you. 
So the way, the way we frame that with our kids is as your parent, it is my responsibility to make sure that your body is safe and healthy, but your body, but, but your body is your own, right? So you are also responsible for it in particular ways. Um, but those ways change as you grow up. So there are some books on consent that are really um, written from the perspective of like what consent is not. So like, mm. like uh, if you, if grandma says, give me a hug and you don't want to, you can say no, right? But there weren't very many books um, written from the perspective, of, like the positive statement perspective of like what you can do and what you are responsible for. So that's kind of the, the niche I tried to fill, right? As, um, as a mantra, that would be something that would apply over the course of your lifespan that would also be written in affirmative language as opposed to negative language. So I hope I did that. Um, mm-hmm. do you, would you want me to like read a couple of pages just to get sort of the rhythm of how the book goes? Sure. Sure. Okay. So each page is like, at this stage in life, I can do these three things. And then it repeats the phrase, my body is my own. So as a baby, I can tell someone when I'm hungry or tired, I can grow bigger and stronger. I can discover what brings me comfort. My body is my own. Um, As a toddler, I can help brush my teeth and wash my hands. I can stay with my grownups while crossing the street. I can let people know when I don't want to hug, my body is my own. In all cases, it's like, I can do blah, 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 right? Um, And I think another sort of underlying um, philosophical perspective of the book is that even in infancy, the baby can express bodily autonomy, right? And will. And will, (laughs) But but the the grownups in that baby's life should see that and acknowledge that and respect that, right? So like if a baby is crying, it's not because they're, you know, being naughty or something. (laughs) They are saying, I need something, right? And whether it's comfort or food or whatever it is, the the infant, the baby is is expressing their bodily autonomy. And so the grownups around them if they're, if they're going to respect the bodily autonomy of other adults, they need to also respect the bodily autonomy of an infant. Um, because it, there's, it, otherwise it seems hypocritical, right? Right. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, another sort of influence, I guess, is, uh, respectful parenting. That's sort of the parenting philosophy that we ascribe to which really aligns with a lot of the stuff that I already was committed to prior to having kids. I just didn't know that I didn't know how to frame it in language that also applied to kids. Uh, So of course I would have taught my college students, like, um, you know, you are responsible for ensuring that you get enough sleep and eat healthy food. And that that is, a part of respecting your own body. And so then how does that also apply to an infant that can't really choose what food they eat or when they're put to bed, right? So that's kind of the underlying perspective of the book. And then I guess too, I also tried to apply it even through like adulthood and older adulthood. So um, as an adult, I can move my body to keep it strong and healthy. 
I can reduce stress in my body. I can care for others. My body is my own. And then as an older adult, I can be purposeful about how and when I move my body. I can take responsibility for going to the doctor when I'm sick. I can think and say positive things about my body. My body is my own. Um, and so I think every, I mean, so that the grown up who is reading this book to a small child can also sort of have their bodily autonomy empowered as they read the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love those older the older pages, not that I don't also love the younger pages, but the older pages I love just because I think because my parents are getting older. And so I, like, I want them to do those things. I'm really lucky that they already do, but I just like, I love the positive framing. Like you can go to the doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Like, let's not be afraid of that. Yes. Another piece of it is, um, so my kids, the, the daycare children's center that they go to, um, is on campus at the university where I teach. And so a lot of the teaching assistants in their classrooms are college students. And so there's like one page in there that's like, as a young adult, I can, and it's like, okay, I know there are going to be college students reading this book to my kids. So I, I see you, like you need to get right. <laughs> you need to eat healthy food, even when you're in college. Yes. Or recognize that the reason you're not doing well in my class might be because of these reasons. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right, right. So that's the book. It's so good. Yeah, I really like it. I like the progression that it didn't just stay young, that it sort of went through kind of a whole lifespan. So I thought that was really awesome. And I am just loving this conversation. I just want to keep hearing you talk. You already answered so many things that I was going to ask you about. And it's really making me want to take your class. I'm like, hmm, I want to, I want to go be in in Professor Tracy's class. This is awesome. Um, And I also particularly liked that you mentioned that you were trying to focus on the positive aspect of everything. So obviously we're in totally different lines of work and everything, but in when working with animals, we often will try to train them to do things. And there are multiple different methods of training. And I always, always go for positive reinforcement and, but not everybody does because there's, again, just so many different ways that you can try to get to the same end point. And in my point of view, positive reinforcement is always the way to go. And I don't ever want to be doing any of the negative things or taking things away and stuff like that. So even though it's not quite the same, I just really appreciate sort of the positive aspect in trying to communicate all of those different things. And so, yeah, I really, I really appreciate that you took sort of that stance and that sort of approach towards it. One of the things that I noticed when I very first read this was your use of language. And I was very surprised that it didn't really, it almost didn't feel like a kid's book. I mean, it did because it's very laid out in like a simple, like you said, it sort of has a mantra and it it follows the same sort of patterns. But I just thought language wise, I was really surprised that it felt more adult. So I, I don't know if maybe you could just talk a little bit about how you made that decision and why, because I mean, I really appreciated it. It just, I was really surprised when I first read it because I expected it to be more kid words or I don't know, more language for a, a younger audience. So that also goes to part of the underlying philosophy, which is that kids, even at a very early age are competent and capable. So if you speak to them about even very complex topics. I mean, of course, you're not going to, 
go into all the nuances and depth for a three-year-old, but like you should be talking to a three-year-old about bodies and about what they're responsible for. I mean, you should be talking to a three-year-old about racism. You should be talking to a three-year-old about social responsibility and um, what's going on in the world and black, you know, police brutality and whatever, whatever topics are of the day, like kids live in the world too. And so you need, I think you need to be able to use language that is accessible to them, but not dumb it down, right? Simplify, but don't speak pejoratively. So I think that's what I did here. I mean, I think there are, there are lots of studies that show that even speaking to infants in, in, you know, normal everyday adult language helps that helps their language skills develop faster that um, speaking to babies in like baby language um, is actually not good for their language development. My kids are three and five right now. And this book is totally accessible to them. I mean, they quote it back to me sometimes. Sometimes at inopportune inopportune moments. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, so I mean, I guess I will say too, this is the difficult path. I mean, there is a path where you just say you have to get a vaccine because I told you you had to get a vaccine. Um, and, And I will use my authority as a parent to just force this on you. But that's not the approach we've taken. So like, um, our five-year-old just got vaccinated um, a couple days ago and, you know, we got to the pharmacy and he was saying like, um, I don't, I don't want to get this vaccine. It's going to hurt, blah, blah, blah. And so we talked about like, okay, well, um, it's my job as your parent to make sure that your body can fight off the germs that it might see. And this vaccine is going to teach your body how to fight off those germs, Um, So I know it might be scary and it's going to hurt for a little bit, but I, and it's okay to cry. It's okay to be scared, but I will be here with you. Like we're in this together. You are safe, et cetera, et cetera. And so it takes a long conversation. And in a lot of ways that's exhausting, but in the end, now he understands why he has the vaccine and he's really proud of it. Like he was like, I'm vaccinated. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. That's what I said. He goes, my body can punch germs in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's like, okay, well that might not be scientifically accurate, but okay. Um, But but maybe that's how we should be selling the vaccine though. Like why not just (laughs) like you want your body to punch germs in the face and get your vaccine. Like at some point, Let's do it. Like, All right, right. Like, if that's how you conceptualize it, go for yes. it. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so I feel like it does take longer and is more exhausting, mm-hmm. but ultimately gets you to a better place. Mm-hmm. Right? I would agree with that. I think that's and great. I was just going to say, and it's so interesting that you brought up animals because I recently saw a thing that it was like training cats and dogs who don't want to have their nails trimmed to like, sit on this space whatever that's considered their like grooming space and that they will you train them to sort of consent to having their nails trimmed by going to this space and if they get up and leave the space then they've withdrawn their consent and you don't cut their nails anymore and it's like you can imagine that that would take an inordinate amount of time to train them to do that 
but how awesome that you never have to fight them about it again, right? That you know, if they come to this space, they're willing to have their nails cut. And it's like, I don't know, it feels, that feels kind of transformative. And if, if our society as a whole would learn to respect the bodily autonomy, not only of adults and children, but also animals, I mean, that would be, that would be big. Yeah, I love that you just said that because it's the exact same thing. It's not the easy way. Like you're saying, there are much easier ways to maybe get to the same point. So that sort of line of training and thought does take longer, but in the end, it's more beneficial. And usually when we're training animals from my perspective and kind of like what I do, it's not, you know, it's not to get them to do a trick or something. It's to get them to help facilitate their care in some way and often that is some sort of veterinary care or husbandry necessity so helping us feed them or again you know work towards their you know everyday care to keep them healthy and it is so much nicer when they participate in that and on so many levels because it's less stress for everybody again in some respects you're then getting some kind of consent because they're choosing to participate it's just it's a lot better so like you were saying with you know the vaccine example, it obviously takes a much longer time, you know, you have to go through the training and be willing to take the time to do that. But in the end, it's so much better. And then you get to a place where you can say my body can punch germs in the face, (laughs) (laughs) which I love. So yeah, I, I really appreciated that you used the more adult language and kind of approached it that way. I was just surprised because I felt like, I mean, I guess I didn't really know exactly the age range before I read it, but I thought it was geared towards younger kids. And I just feel like most of the time when you do see things that are geared for kids, they are sort of more simplistic and juvenile and, you know, kind of baby talk, I guess, for lack of a better way to describe it. And so I was really surprised when I read it, but I, I really like it. And I appreciate that, that you did that. Thank you. That means a lot to me. Yeah. I just wanted to add the, the thing about it taking a little longer to be to, for the learning to occur, for instance, it's worth the effort because like when you talk about the, the definition of learning is actually a change in behavior or a change in knowledge. And so if we if we're just telling our kids, do it because I said so, they're not learning to do it. They're not learning, like that's not a change in behavior and that's not even a change in knowledge. So literally almost no learning has occurred other than occasionally like you might learn to, like that my mom is, it tells, gets to tell me what to do, I guess. Which, and there are cases where that has to be okay, right? Like you know, a car is coming, you grab the child so that the car doesn't hit them. Like there are cases where this need, these types of things have to happen. But if we're trying to teach things and get learning to occur, then we do have to do it the slower way. And, and it's worth it in the end, because once it's learned, like what we've, what brain technology is teaching us is that every time we do something again, it's like strengthened. There's like a bond between those things that is strengthened. And so like this type of learning, once it's learned, that will be a very strong learning that will be be less likely to be lost over time. Right, totally. And I also think, I mean, so the underlying message here is about how to operate in a framework of consent as an adult, right? And so you have to learn that as a child first, because if you're telling a child, look, in certain situations, you lose your bodily autonomy and I just get to control you, 
then when that person is older, they could potentially see like a sexual relationship as a situation where the other person as a state of exception, Mm -hmm. right. Where either one, one or the other of the partners doesn't have a right to bodily autonomy in that situation. And it's like, no, we don't want to go there at all. The other piece of it is I think we want to be sex positive, but like, how do you talk, how do you be sex positive and like talk about sex in a children's book? So without actually talking about sex at all. Right. (laughs) So, um, so like I, as a teenager, I can make healthy decisions about touching others' bodies or letting others touch my body. Right. So I'm talking about sex there but to a three-year-old I'm talking you know they're they might hear it as like oh I shouldn't push other kids or hit other kids right or and I have the ability to stand up for myself if someone else pushes me and I can say I don't want you to do that it hurt me right and so uh, like what you were saying Megan is like if they learn if they really internalize that learning as a toddler then, then as they grow, they're going to be able to apply it in other situations, like potentially with an intimate partner. Another thing I think about the book is, see previous discussion about body shaming in the podcast, is that this tries to be body positive. So for example, it doesn't moralize exercise or eating nutritious in quotation marks food. So it just says I can participate in food. I can participate in activities that make me happy. And then there's another one where it says something about I can eat a variety of foods so that my body has the nutrients it needs. And then there's another one where it says I can follow my hunger cues, not eating too much or too little. So in all of those cases, it's trying to be body positive. It's trying to talk about differently abled bodies and how whatever body you find yourself in you can maximize its health in the in the in all these different ways and so again I think it's like teaching kids these types of things at a very young age and have and really teaching them not just like convincing them that this is what they need to do because you're the authority figure but like really helping them internalize the learning of like bodily bodily autonomy and bodily responsibility, then they have the ability to apply it in all these different ways as they grow up, even ways that you can't anticipate, right? Mm-hmm. So it's teaching them like the underlying principle that then you trust that they will be able to use throughout their lives. Mm-hmm. Really important messages, I think. For sure. I feel like I'm talking really fast, but it's because I'm so excited. Like, I feel so passionate about it and like these ideas. So then I just get excited and I talk really fast. Well, plus we talked about the Gilmore girls and they talk really fast. So it's all good. We primed you. (laughs) I'm sitting here thinking about like sports and bodily autonomy. Cause it's like, once you learn those things, it's not that like football is a problem or soccer is a problem. It's just, it, it really kind of frames it very differently. Um, like a red card all of a sudden like has that kind of additional layered piece to it, or at least like an additional understanding to me in soccer, because like the whole point of the red card is that you have crossed the line from what is legal to what is illegal in the game. And you've crossed it far enough that the ref is like, no red card um and then of course football is just 
I mean, the whole goal, like the goal of it is to push people around so that the ball goes where you want it to go and not where somebody else wants it to go. Um, and, but again, there are like rules and laws and reasons why you, you can't grab the face mask in football, for instance. Um, and so much of that is based on trying to keep people safe in a game that is fairly violent <laughs> when it comes to football. So yeah, it's, I really like where my brain is going, even though I don't know exactly how to express it. Yeah. So I think with sports, I mean, I feel like football needs to be in a separate class. <laughs> I mean, it's just so dangerous, but sports in general, I mean, I think that, uh, so another element to the concept of consent is that it can be withdrawn at any time. Right. So somebody could make the argument like, look, these people have consented to play this soccer game. And so if they get injured, it's their own fault. And it's like, no, that's not a real rigorous definition of consent, right? Consent is I consent to play soccer, but if you are going to kick me in the knee, I remove my consent. Like, I don't want to play that type of soccer. And so I feel like that's where the rules come in as a framework of saying like, we will, we will enforce that people have agreed to X, but not Y, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I could do some more thinking about how it applies, I think in sports. I mean, I guess also not only the sport itself, but the sports in industry, right? Mm-hmm. So thinking about like Simone Biles and mm-hmm. various other things where people's consent um, was violated, not merely within the sport itself, but within the, the machine that mm-hmm. is the sport in the industry of the sport. Um, and that, yeah, that's also, I mean, a huge problem. All right. So I want to ask just a few questions that are kind of about the process of writing a book. So not this book specifically, but any book and just your books. How did you find the illustrator? How did you decide to self-publish? So finding the illustrator was definitely the biggest obstacle um, in terms of writing the books. Writing children's books is not my full-time career. <laughs> this, was, <laughs> this was kind of a hobby on the side um, that I did during the pandemic, which means I had one minute to do, <laughs> to do something. <laughs> um, so I, there probably are better <laughs> ways to go about this, but this was the way that I found. Um, so I went to a website called Fiverr Um, And it's a marketplace for digital goods. So like graphic design, illustration, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And I found an illustrator whose work um, I liked from their portfolio. And I reached out to her and we agreed to work together. So we actually did two books together. Um, So this book, My Body is My Own. And then there's another book called My Body Tells Me How I Feel. And, um, so we completed both of those books together. Uh, I actually was sort of unaware how much influence the author has on the illustrations. Um, I 
more or less like directed the illustrations and then Lola was able to bring my vision to to fruition which was actually really cool but very very challenging because illustrations are not in my wheelhouse <laughs> um, so that was actually definitely the most challenging part but anyway after we got the illustrations dialed in um I did reach out to a few agents. I guess that's the the traditional publication route is you get an agent and then they um, work with your books to get them to a publisher. But again, I had like one minute to make these decisions. <laughs> um, and again, this was more sort of like a labor of love that I just wanted. I had these ideas. I wanted to get them out. I wanted to get them into a physical form so that I could read them to my own kids. <laughs> um, and so I had sent some emails to some agents. I waited like a month or six weeks and didn't hear back. Um, so I was just like, I'm just going to self-publish. <laughs> so I went that route. I think the main obstacle there was just formatting. Uh, so uh. formatting took a while, but once I got the formatting together, um, I just uploaded them to Amazon and clicked publish. And then Amazon runs the printing. Although I did actually have someone contact me that there was a misprint which I feel like is odd, but anyways, yeah. So the, uh, if somebody orders a book, Amazon prints one for them and ships it to them. Um, I will also say I'm working on getting both books translated into Spanish. So mm -hmm. that will be forthcoming as well. So that was the publication process. I mean, I would say for anyone who wants, uh, who has an idea that they want to get out there, I think this is definitely the most expedient route. Um, it may not be the most uh, lucrative route. <laughs> um, You're not retiring on the uh, funds not. that you've earned from my no. body is my own. I'm not, no. Uh, so, if you, if this is um, a career move for you, I would suggest not going this route. If this is a, um, a hobby or other sort of, you know, labor of love kind of a situation, then I think this was a good route to go. <laughs> nice. Have you heard any, did you ever hear from the agents? No, no. And it's been like six months. So the brat. That brat. Sucks. yeah. All right. I was just trying to figure out maybe they were just too slow. I mean, I have heard. So I did also contact a few other authors that I know. Um, and they said that the agent publisher route can take multiple years. Ooh. Like, I don't have time for that. So right. <laughs> You're like, uh, by multiple years, my kids will be seven and five. And I'm right. really hoping so, to get these books to them way before then. <laughs> so I chose not to wait around for that. Fair. Yep. Yeah, I don't blame you. I feel like that would be so frustrating. Yeah. Plus it worked for us because we have copy of the book. Yeah, <laughs> you can buy them on Amazon. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say, have you all heard of calling, not calling Amazon by its name, but calling it Mackenzie Scott's ex-husband's company? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm like here for that trend as well. So, so I will say I do have some internal um, anxiety about putting money into Jeff Bezos pocket. But uh, again, this was like the most accessible route to me, given my limitations of time and uh, ability to 
um, access the means of production. <laughs> so well, that's the whole thing, right? Like it's Amazon is not inherently bad. It actually does some really good things. We just would like them to be like wherever their ethics are now. Let's bump them up a couple notches. That's You're all right, we're asking. Right. <laughs> yeah, we're totally in the same place with you. We know that there are lots of issues with Amazon and they are not always our favorite, but sometimes sometimes it's just the best, unfortunately. Yeah, the best of the available options. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we are with you there. Yeah, it is hard to be mad at the convenience. Right. Right. But if we could and, all start calling it Mackenzie Scott's ex-husband's company, I would, <laughs> I mean, it's a mouthful, but the yeah. point is like really, I think, powerful. <laughs> Definitely. And there is something or to be M-Sec? said that- Can we call it M-Sec? Yeah, for- yeah. Give me an <laughs> sure. Yeah, appreciate yeah. it. I like it. I like it. But for all the problems, there is something to be said about the fact that you were able to do it, put it up there, and now in multiple countries, we are holding your book. So- yeah. Totally. That is a win in that respect. Shoshi, have any other questions before we start to talk about the th- other things we can't stop thinking about this week? I don't think so. I think it's been really, really awesome. I feel like we could just sit here and talk forever. I just love it so yes. much. And now that I know you have a second book, I'm definitely going to have to get that and read it. Do you maybe just, as we're finishing up, want to just tell us briefly what the second one is about? Yeah, so the second one is about um, teaching kids to uh, use body mindfulness to improve their emotional and physical well-being, right? Each page of it connects a bodily sensation to a feeling to a possible solution to that feeling. So um, one of them is like, well, here, I'll read like just flip to a random page read. Okay. So when my heart is beating fast and my skin feels hot, my body might be telling me that I feel frightened. Holding someone's hand could help. No. So another thing that has been really useful, I mean, not only in my own life, but I think in teaching my kids as well is sort of helping them observe what's going on in their bodies as a clue to what they might need whether it's an emotional need or a physical need, either way. Yep. So that one's, that one's what that one's about. Mm, nice. That sounds really good. I'm looking forward to reading that. We'll have to have mm-hmm. you back so we can discuss the next one. Okay. I would love that. Yay. Yes. And in case anyone is wondering, five stars. <laughs> yes. Five stars. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to go ahead and start talking about what I can't stop thinking about this week because it's the least fun. (laughs) I can't stop thinking about uh, essentially the like importance of preventative medicine. So I was listening to the podcast America Dissected this week and the interview actually drove me a little bit crazy. Like I was kind of almost yelling at the interviewer well actually the interviewee I guess because they were talking about you know the pandemic and what have we learned and what like why essentially why America is like we are the number one spender of money in the healthcare system but are like we're 40th in the world in terms of life expectancy so we spend a lot of money and we're not getting a lot of benefit for that money as far as I can tell and I know some of that has to do with population. And the interviewer was 
the what was driving me crazy about the interview is he kept saying like we should have done things differently but he didn't say what would be like i was like okay yes great we could have done things differently during the during the like height of the pandemic what would we have done differently and he never said the what piece just that things should have been done differently like okay well that's really helpful for the future that tells me what we should do but his greater point that i do appreciate was that uh, countries that pay a lot more and focus a lot more on preventative medicine actually did a lot better overall in the pandemic and do a lot better in life expectancy. And so that I really did appreciate like the focus on instead of focusing on when what health you can get, what help you can get when you get sick, what can you do to prevent getting sick? You know, there are some illnesses that you don't have any like real control over you know, but there's a lot of health that if we just did what Tracy's book suggested and we ate a greater varied diet and we, you know, did exercise or just moved our body or went outside and looked at a sunset, um, we would just be healthier to begin with so that then when COVID hit and we wouldn't, we'd be less likely to die. That seems so, um, I don't know so morbid to put it in those terms but that that's really what this is saying is that if you are healthier to begin with when you get sick it, it's not fun but it is it does it's less likely to cause you long-term health effects uh, and so i just can't that's the thing i can't stop thinking about this week is like how can we help 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 people um think about preventative medicine and maybe not even calling it preventative medicine, but just think about what is it that you want to do that gets you moving? So if that happens to be some sort of augmented reality, but it, you're still moving, great. Do the augmented reality. What can we do to help people um, and just enjoy more life in more mobile, more mobile ways? Well, and also changing the structure of the healthcare system because mm -hmm. I actually well so I started listening to the same America dissected uh episode this week and I didn't get through the interview I I uh, after talking to Megan I gave up a little bit too early but I also was super frustrated with the person that they were interviewing and I felt like again they weren't really telling us anything useful and I also felt like they were repeating a lot of things that we've now heard from lots of different people and so I actually gave up on it so I didn't get through to the good stuff but I separately was actually having a conversation with Amir about my own stuff this week because I have a lot of dental issues. And one of the things is that I grind my teeth and my dental insurance doesn't actually pay for the mouth guards and things that I need for when I'm sleeping. And so for a long time, the dentist never had me get one. And now I pay myself to have that, but I have a lot of problems because I've ground down all of my enamel. And I'm like, but why won't they pay for the mouth guard that then prevents all of this other stuff that they have to pay for later? So even in my own stuff, I was having this discussion this week. And I think it's like a structural issue because, you know, if people can't afford to pay for the preventative thing, like the mouth guard, then they're going to end up with more problems later because they didn't have the preventative thing. So we need to start changing the structure to help people in the early stages take care of themselves and then prevent all the super expensive and sometimes awful things that happen later. So mm -hmm. I think it's, you know what I mean? 
some of it is also about encouraging people to, like you said, get up and move and do the things for themselves. But some of it also, I think, is just the structure of the way that everything is set up. And it's just, I don't know, it's really frustrating. Yeah, for sure. Because if your insurance was set up to pay for the preventative things or help pay for the preventative things, you'd be more likely to do it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So but it ends up costing them more in the end. That's exactly. the thing that's so frustrating. It will actually cost, you know, whether it's the insurance company or an individual or the government, you know, somebody though is going to pay more in the end than if they would just, you know, help with the preventative stuff and take better care in general at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So frustrating. Yeah. And either way, the dentist gets work because the dentist is the one that's helping you create the mouth guard that you need. It's, yeah, that's what I can't stop thinking about. It's just how can we all move towards things that are more preventative or just, and again, and, and to enjoy those things. Like, cause it seems so much, you know, like if I talk about exercise too much, it sounds really laborious. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. What if I don't work out today? Like that's okay. Right. And it is okay. But so I want it to, you know, I want to like, how can we start talking about these things so that it's more really more fun? Well, not to go back to training animals, but literally that's exactly the same thing that we do. You have to positively reward or make it something fun that they then want to participate in. So I'm not trying to say that people and animals are exactly the same, but it's the same kind of idea. If you can make it a built-in thing or you get some kind of reward or pleasure or fun from it, then you want to participate and basically help help in your own, you know, general well-being and healthcare. I feel like the great resignation is a part of this conversation too, that people are quitting their jobs in droves because they realize that their jobs were part of the reason why they weren't healthy. Like Mm. they weren't able to exercise or they weren't able to take care of themselves or they were sitting in a chair for eight hours a day, these kind of things. And like, not only do we need to overhaul the healthcare system, but overhaul employment in general, right? To nurture people's well-being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always, <laughs> I always laugh only because, so whenever I am on jury duty, I get the like kind of prescribed like day in the life of what the government is essentially saying should be everyone's work day. And it's so much like, you know, you go in, I think it's at nine, which for me, I'm like, Ooh, I, I get to sleep in. And then at like 10, 15 or something, everyone goes on a break. You all go to the bathroom, no matter what. And then at noon, like you go to lunch, like, and it's like noon. It's like, like there, the judge is like looking at the time and like staring at the lawyers and being like, don't ask another question because it's going to be noon and we are going to go to lunch. <laughs> and like you could, and you all come back at one, like you get the whole hour, like an hour for lunch. Like who does this? This is amazing. And then at four, like, again, there's like another break at like two 30 or something to go to the bathroom. And then at four you leave. And I, and like, it's, it's truly, it feels very like almost chunky to me, if that makes sense. And, but that's, it's so much healthier than my actual work day where like I go to the office at eight and sometimes I don't move until four or five. Like I'm sitting in front of that computer. Like I try to eat. I try to remember those things, but I don't always, uh, it's just, it's so interesting. I'm like, Oh, like these are actually what the government regulations are trying to help everybody do. It is actually be healthier. 
but I ignore all those regulations and just literally sit at my computer from eight to five getting it all done. <laughs> I mean, I would say that having a break and a lunch and another break is probably not actually adequate either. <laughs> True, but like I, you know, it's just, it's certainly better than what I do and get when put up to my own. Left your own devices. Left my own devices, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Shosh or Tracy, let's talk about something more fun because I know both of your <laughs> things are more fun than mine. <laughs> I, I can talk about mine. Um, the thing I have been interested in recently is paint by numbers. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. For, yeah, for grownups. So um, I got <laughs> the... Kids can do it to you. <laughs> for anybody, it's fine. Kids, whatever. But um, I have this... I don't know. It's like maybe 16 by 16 canvas um, with a tree that is so intricate. Like each numbered section is like maybe, I don't know, you know, they're odd shapes, but like three millimeters <laughs> or something. Um, and it's probably going to take me a decade to finish painting it, <laughs> but it's a lovely way to be creative without actually having to really uh be creative <laughs> um, <laughs> do you know what i mean though like the yeah. creativity is not in the creation no. it's in the yeah. doing. Yeah. yeah 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 like i am not having to come up with the design myself um but it's very uh cathartic and and quite lovely i've spent probably about three hours on the one i have thus far and I've like barely made a dent in it so I mean I was asking someone yesterday so do you think I'm going to finish this painting first or do you think the pandemic is going to end first <laughs> um and uh, I, I wasn't the painting. sure <laughs> wasn't sure yeah uh but anyway so it's very fun I highly recommend paint by numbers that's the thing I've been thinking about I love that I did one during lockdown and I thought it was going to be really easy. I mean, I hadn't done one since maybe I was like a kid and I don't think, you know, the adult ones are a bit different. And I was surprised at how long it took. And they really do take a lot of time and there are so many little spaces, but it is really fun. The same way that I sort of like coloring or that I like baking because there's a specific recipe. I like that if you follow sort of the directions and the pattern and stuff, you, you know exactly what you're going to get. So you really can't mess it up. And I sort of, I really enjoyed it again, for the same reason you were saying, you don't really have to create something yourself. You just kind of get to follow along and then you end up with this amazing product. So I'm all about the paint by number. I'm also going rogue a bit on mine though. So Ooh. we're going to call this my my creative interpretation or whatever but I'm substituting a green for a red oh um, so it's gonna look a little bit different than the than the original you know template or whatever uh but the original had way more red in it than I feel like fits my vibe so like it was it was like more of a fall tree and I would like more of a spring tree <laughs> so I'm uh I'm taking some creative license. Artistic liberty. Yes, artistic. <laughs> that's exactly it. So I'm just changing one color. Um, I love it. That's brave. We'll see. Maybe I'll regret that choice. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm if you do, you can excited. always go back in and fill some of them, you know, with the correct color, but I bet it'll be great. 
Okay. Well, check back in with me in 2031. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I made my mom a paint for a paint by number, although it was just, I gave her markers. So a marker by number advent calendar last year. That's fun. Cool. Yeah. Yep. And now that I think about it though, I don't, I don't, I, I know she started it. I don't remember if she finished it. <laughs> she finished it. Check back in with her in 2031. <laughs> yes, exactly. 2031 will be the year of finishing projects. Let's just call it. Okay. I feel awesome. like that. I can say oh, that. that Megan, time. you can finish your cross stitch by then. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. All right. That'll be my new I need- goal. I need to finish my paper cutting significantly before 2031. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, you pretty man. much need to get that done by the by 2031 today, like <laughs> in military time. Yeah, yeah, basically, basically. So nice segue there into the thing that I can't stop thinking about this week, which is holiday gifts, specifically a paper cutting that I'm doing. So my weekend crew. We, our staff is split into basically thirds because someone has to work every day of the year. So we rotate weekends and we decided we were going to do homemade holiday gifts, which we've done in the past. And honestly, they are always the best. I love seeing what people come up with. They're always so creative. So I decided to make a paper cutting for the person that I got this year, which seemed like a great idea but I basically have to have it finished immediately because I will not be able to work on it while I am traveling to see Megan. So it is for a good reason, but I am desperate to finish this and I'm just trying to go crazy cutting paper. So fingers crossed that I can finish it. Well, fingers crossed that you cut the paper and not your fingers. Yes, yes, definitely. I started laughing because I was thinking about that episode of Friends where Monica and Chandler were supposed to make each other's gifts and then like Chandler ends up giving Monica like a, a mixed tape that Janice made him and then like, <laughs> and, like I think Phoebe makes like a, a sock puppet I think that Monica tries to give to Chandler. And I was like well awesome. you know plan B you can always make a sock puppet. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I seriously can't think of that Friends episode. And I have seen every episode of Friends many, many times, but I can't think of that one right now. Yep. I feel like it's hard sometimes because there's so many. (laughs) There's only 10 seasons, guys. Only. Only. (laughs) Right. Oh, man. Well, good luck, Shosh. Oh, thank you. I need it. Yeah, if anybody needs me, I'll be frantically cutting paper in the corner. So. <laughs> Every time I see what you're doing, though, my hand cramps because I just think about like, because particularly the one you're doing right now is so intricate, like little tiny circles. Ooh. Yeah, I feel like I may have been a bit ambitious. <laughs> it, it was a good idea, but um, I didn't quite take the time constraints into account when I made this decision, but I'm too far in now to switch. Like it has oh, to happen. Sure. Yeah. I, I'm just too, too committed. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. But now you understand why when you go to the craft store, they have all those punches and they're like $30 or something. And you're like $30 to punch out a triangle. Hmm. Is it worth it? And then you look at shows with paper cutting and you go, yep, 
Yep, totally. Thirty dollars. <laughs> a couple of clamps of her once well. Totally worth it, friends. Totally worth it. So what you're saying is I should go buy some punches instead of cutting same, these out. <laughs> I'm just saying that you make the cost all of a sudden seem not ridiculous. I'm gonna end up with like a claw or something. It's gonna be totally fine. Totally fine. I'll definitely finish it. Definitely. Always gonna be totally fine. And if not, then I'll I'll just take it in half finished and be like, you can have the finished product in 2031. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Listen to this episode of my podcast to fully understand. Thanks. Because yes. <laughs> that is the year of the finished product projects. I love it. Awesome. Well, Tracy, this was so much fun. Thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you so much. Of course. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yes, and we will definitely have to purchase the next book or, and then have you back on. That yes, definitely. Great. I'm looking forward to it. Love it. Yay. Maybe we can do that before 2031, though. Okay, deal. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a good plan. Yes. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Have a great Bye. week.